I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Blue White Illustrated live post-game show on YouTube presented by On3. I'm Tom Hannafin. He is Thomas Frank Carr. Penn State dropped its second loss of the season by a score of 44-31 to to the still unbeaten number two Ohio State Buckeyes in a game that I think had a lot of Penn State fans really, really worried coming into it. And honestly, there are a lot of positives to take away from this game considering how tough the Nittany Lions played the Buckeyes today three plus quarters of really really good football and then obviously uh, the wheels kind of came off down the stretch there uh, just a reminder for those of you that are joining us here on uh, on YouTube if you want to donate to the channel you can get involved in the super chat your questions and comments will be highlighted and we'll address as many of those super chat donations here live on the show as humanly possible and just a reminder for those of you that are not already subscribed to blue white illustrated right now it's just ten dollars. For a subscription to Blue White Illustrated from now until the start of next season. That's a fantastic oh, yeah. deal. So head to on3.com and search Blue White Illustrated for the homepage to sign up today. So uh, we know you guys are going to be all over the chat. So please get involved. T. Frank, uh, just taking the you know macro view of this game, as I was yeah. just saying a moment ago, uh, this is a much more positive loss than the Michigan loss was absolutely yeah. uh what's your initial takeaway from this game Penn State played with Ohio State the best team in the nation deep into the fourth quarter but they got out athleted at the end um I thought Penn State came in with a great game plan they took away Ohio State's running game which was kind of the question in my mind of how would Manny Diaz play this game and how would he how would Penn State's defensive scheme how they're built how would that work against Ohio State's running system? Because Ohio State plays zone. They play zone inside, outside, and they force you to beat their athletes in, in that particular style. That's what Penn State shuts down. They have done a great job at shutting down zone running so far this season, and they did through three and a half quarters. Ohio State averaged 1.9 yards per carry until the fourth quarter, where they averaged 15 yards because the Ohio State passing game was that good. Ohio State gave up on running the football, and then they started throwing throwing the ball all over the yard, and you see 185 yards or whatever it ended up being for Marvin Harrison Jr. Because that's the strength of the team. That's what they are, and that's and that was kind of the end of the ball game. Was when Ohio State, especially that backbreaker of a drive where they go three plays, 75 yards, and they just they did what they do. They have five star athletes. Penn State's a very good team. They were playing with them the entire game, but they're going to go get a barrage of points. So James Franklin going for it. Uh, deep into uh, the red zone. That's what that says. Early in the game, Penn State needed to bank some points because when this happened, it happened pretty quickly. And the defensive 
turnovers, especially, and some of those uh, interceptions. I know we're going to have lots of conversation about Sean Clifford in this game, but those clearly changed the tenor of the game late as much as they did uh, set up Ohio State for some points early. So um, lots of stuff to pick through, but I think overall Penn State played with one, maybe the best team in the country uh, for almost four quarters. I completely agree with you. This is uh, obviously you never want to see a loss. Um, this was a, a really good performance overall. I was so impressed to see the defense respond and play as similarly as they did against Minnesota last weekend. Uh, I want to thank Stephen Light for donating. I don't know if this is you being entirely sarcastic or being serious, but I don't know about you guys, but I'm psyched to see Clifford in the Orange Bowl. Uh, we'll dive into the performance of Sean Clifford, but uh, in regards to a possible New Year's Day six bowl game, uh, I think that's a very plausible thing for this Penn State yeah. football team, given the effort that we just saw, because frankly, the rest of the way, T. Frank, you and I were just talking about it before we came on the air, is that it's at Indiana, it's home versus Rutgers, uh, or sorry, home versus Maryland, at Rutgers, home versus Michigan State. All very winnable football games. If yeah. I told you coming into 2022 that Penn State could go 10-2, and two, you might yeah. have laughed at me. I know I would have laughed at me. Um, well, I was a little more positive. I was saying 9-3 and three was kind of where I was looking at it because this is a very talented freshman class. It's this. Is, I saw a lot of similarities to 2019 where they arrived a year early. And with the freshman running backs and Abdul Carter, they arrived a year or maybe a year and a half early, but also they're, tr they're all freshmen and they did not, I think, uh, play up to that standard of playing against one of the best teams in the country to go toe to toe, not make any mistakes. Um, you know, just as a general, as a freshman class, because that's what, that's where the, the true high end talent is. So 10 and two, I think is a surprise, but I don't know that it is a stretch given that this team generally, when they're right, when they're, you know, kind of correct, They've played with every team that is on their schedule. The last two years obviously put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths, but the overall talent was better this year coming in. Agreed. Um, Jeff D., thank you for contributing to the Super Chat and donating to Blue White Illustrated. What is it going to take to close the gap with Ohio State? PSU recruits top 10 classes, so it can't be talent alone. They don't coach said classes to success. What do you think? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't agree necessarily. I do. I do agree with parts of this that uh, it's not. It's not a huge talent gap, but it is a talent gap. Over the last three seasons, Ohio uh, Penn State kind of took a step back. Ryan Day has hit the accelerator at a program that has a lot of built-in advantages of being Ohio State. So I, you know, I think this is much about Ohio State as it is Penn State, where with Urban Meyer and some of the things that we all saw, how kind of that ended ugly, like Penn State was inching closer. Now I feel like with Jim Knowles and the coaching, um, even though I didn't think Ryan Day did a great job coaching the offense today. That was there were not some a interesting play calls. Play. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in this game, like the talent won out. So I don't want to disagree completely and say that it's not coaching. The offensive line needs to progress. That group needs to get better, but they are not on the same level as Ohio State. Uh, Penn State is has is really excited about some of their young offensive linemen. Drew Shelton, Vega Iwane. Uh, I know coming in in the class of 2023, they got a lot of talent. But Ohio State starting a five-star true freshman right guard, and he was, a, he was a big part of the win today. So there's there is a difference in the two teams and their recruiting. And the difference between one, two, and three, and five-star talent, and where Penn State is at, you know, 12, 
routinely kind of sometimes bumping up higher there. And I know that 2022, they got a, they got the five stars, right? So they got that class into the top five, but that's one Ohio state is doing that year in and year out. And they're banking talent so that Jackson Smith and Jigba goes down. And even though Penn state played with them in this game, you got a Marvin Harrison jr. You've got a Julian Fleming who, who can get open and get 20 yards in the middle of the field. Emeka Abuka was shut out for most of the game. And then he gets a perfect 42 yard pass. In tight coverage versus Johnny Dixon, a good football player. Emeka Buka made a better play in C.J. Stroud, who was, despite the stats, I didn't think he was great today until he made some of those wow type of throws. Uh, makes a perfect play there. And, and there are just these small losses throughout the year that lead to recruiting losses, and then your game day decisions are magnified. Penn State played the game from a coaching perspective, that kept them in this game till the fourth quarter. They had a great game plan on both sides of the football coming into the game, into the, into the contest. But some of the, some of the decisions, um, you know, the fourth down play, I was not a fan of the fourth down play where they, they drive down and get no points in the third quarter. But yeah. Fourth in the and third two, quarter 25. Yeah. Of Ohio but if, you, State. if you take those three points, I know that we're just doing, uh, you know, ifs and buts here that doesn't do anything for you in the final tally. Like, Ohio state responded, with touchdown, 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 touchdown in the fourth quarter. Now, that doesn't mean that it changes the tenor of the game going forward and the butterfly effect, all those things. Like, we can't really, we can't parse that out. But I thought overall, Penn State played with this team better than I expected. And they played with them deeper and longer than I expected. But eventually, uh, JT Tulamoliao took the game over. Like, his ability to beat Penn State's right tackle Changed the, the the dynamics of this game. Bryce Effner, he was just completely and absolutely overmatched in this game and goes back to recruiting and depth. Penn State is light on tackles to begin with. And then um, Bryce Effner is playing left tackle at the end of the game with Olu Fushanu not in there. That's another huge concern is Penn State. Uh, what's the situation with him where you've got Chris uh, Jimmy Christ at right tackle? That is, this was break glass in case of scenario, horrible yep. situation for Penn State if either of their tackles got hurt. And it seems like at least at the end of the game, we'll find out or we won't find out truthfully with James Franklin what happened there. But that's a, that's a huge problem. That is a huge yep. problem. Not that it affected the game, but it's just that depth of talent there. I do want to get to some of the comments here in the Super Chat. Uh, Pete, thank you for donating. I saw a lot more uh, to be proud of and encouraged by in this game. Defense played very well, and the offense got no bounces. I'm proud of our boys. Uh, Pete, I, I agree with you, and I think T. Frank does as well. Uh, just There was a lot to be positive about. I know a lot of people want to come down on Sean Clifford, and I do want to bring up this one. Uh, thank you for donating, counting down the games until we can finally get Clifford out of State College. Um, when you reasonably look at this game for Sean Clifford, um, I said it on my podcast. For those of you that don't know, check out Pater to Penn State football show with myself and former Penn State quarterback Matt McLoin. It's available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Tune in wherever you get your podcast. In our preview episode regarding this game against Ohio State, we said, and I think a lot of people have said, that Sean Clifford has to play the best game of his life. He admitted yeah. that to the Fox broadcast crew as well. That was a huge point early in the broadcast. Sean clearly would probably admit he didn't play his best game. However, T. Frank, when you analyze his four turnovers, do yeah. you pin them all on Sean Clifford? 
Uh, <laughs> so now we're going to get into the shout. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me do is, it for you. The, yeah. the, the first one is tipped. And I know a lot of people will say, well, he's got to know how to throw it around big guys. It's like, right. These things right. happen to quarterbacks at every single level of football. It is a freak play that it gets tipped and picked. The fact yep. that it got tipped. Yes. That's, you can sit there and luck. say, right. You should have done that. I, right. We should have, we should agree that a tipped pass that results in an interception by the defensive end on the other side of the formation is luck. You can say the batted pass is his fault and that's fine. And I, you know, we can have a conversation about that. Ohio state was ready and the offensive line did not give him uh protection on the, on the last one at the very least, you know, yes. The, the second one I would say is the biggest debate, right? Did Katron Allen run the right route? And most importantly, did Sean Clifford read the defense correctly? So here's the situation on that play. It's cover three, but it's drop eight. So there's an extra underneath defender. And I don't know if Sean Clifford read that or not, but if he's reading cover three, which is what the, you know, the covered shell dictates, he might've been Katron Allen might've been running, should have run an out route so he can hit up field and get the first down. But if you throw it to Parker Washington in soft cover three coverage and you get it over the defensive end, that's also a good pass. So, you know, that's that you've got to ask the quarterback, what did you see? Why did you do that? What is the, you know, and he probably won't throw the freshman under the bus. But I think there's more debate about that one. And then the final interception, Bryce Efner got buried in the ground by the pass rusher mm-hmm. to Lamolio. Um, I don't know if it was a one-arm hump where he just threw him out of the way, but either way, Bryce Efner was on his on his back, providing zero coverage in the passing lane for the quarterback. Another quick strike, you know, trying to throw a bubble screen. Lots of teams throw bubble screens. Not every single defensive end catches it and runs for a touchdown. So were those Sean Clifford's fault? I'm not saying they're not Sean Clifford's fault. I'm not saying they're completely Sean Clifford's fault. So changing the arm angle, being a better quarterback, those are things that Sean Clifford doesn't do. If you're suddenly expecting him to do those things, then, you know, sorry to disappoint you. Here's here's the end result. But secondarily, uh, you know, that might be your problem is that he can't do those things, which, you know, at this point, I'm analyzing Sean Clifford and what we what what he does. Not necessarily in what he doesn't do, because we know what he doesn't do. And he threw for 371 yards, three touchdowns. He had them in the game the entire time. And those situations were the turning points, right? 44-31, they, they gave up a lot of points on turnovers. If you don't give up four turnovers, you're in this game with, as you said, the best, the second best team in the nation, depending on who you ask. So uh, there's a there's a lot to unpack there, and I lot of, know a lot of people. It's just the fatigue with Sean Clifford for four years as a starter, six years at Penn State. I totally yep. understand it, but when you really sit there and break this game down, um, you cannot hang the entire thing on this guy. It's just it's just not reasonable. Um, getting into more of the super chat contributions. Thank you to Mike uh, Porter giving uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. eleven on third and ten. Uh, is a joke. I, I give a lot yeah. of credit to Marvin Harrison Jr. He is outstanding. They went to him so many different times. CJ Stroud was firing bullets to him on post routes every chance that he got and was completing most of them. Uh, Joey Porter Jr., uh, in my opinion, didn't necessarily have a fantastic day. I don't know what you saw out of uh, Joey, but it, yeah. it continues to be, for me, first-round body and then questionable decision-making. Uh, so part of, here, here's, the, here's one of the things I did not like in this game. They have gone to this instead of being, you know, getting picked a lot. They've gone to this kind of like picket fence defense on third down. Everyone's standing at the sticks and they go to their pressure package. 
And then teams just run slants on it and fall for the first down. They don't want to give up the big play, right? Because it's man coverage. It's, it's man coverage across the board. There's no safety help. So you can't give up a double move, but you're reacting and you're supposed to come triggering downhill when you see the slant, but you don't want to give up the deep play. So what you do is you give up the first down. Like that's all that's happening in those situations. So if Joe, Joey Porter Jr. is playing tighter coverage, we might be having a different situation. I think that part is where you're not set up for success. And, uh, but at the same time, trigger downhill, get the tackle and don't give up the first down. Like it is both. It is. I don't like that play call. I don't like that defensive formation. They've given up more points or more yardage and more first downs that they've taken away. Uh, so I think that needs to adjust going forward. But at the same time in that situation, know your role, know your rules. And, and they did not attack the ball in that third down situation, the way you would want them to, to stop that play um, and giving up those passes. That that was a backbreaker, but I I disagree. I think Joey Porter Jr. has played up to the hype so far this year, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is really, really good. I mean, those were a lot of contested catches, and he came down with them. So you're at the catch point, and then it becomes a fight for the ball. But if the ball placement is good, and the ball placement was good today from uh, from C.J. Stroud, it's it's it, it's tough to defend the best passing attack in America. It's tough to defend the best passing attack in America. That's that's how that I mean, that's how I read that situation. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I agree with you. Um, Kevin diving in here in the super chat. Uh, great effort today. Talent gap finally caught up with them in the fourth quarter. I think Fashano made himself uh, some money today. And as T Frank was just mentioning, we are not certain whether or not Olu Fashano sustained an injury or if he was just outright benched uh, in the game. So we may never know the answer to that. Now the way James Franklin conducts himself in the media. So I encourage everybody to keep an eye on that. Uh, Mike, also thank you for diving in here, uh, contributing to the super chat. If I ever have to watch the soft coverage, giving them a free first down on third and ten ever again, I will harm myself. Sarcastic, yeah, Mike, don't don't harm yourself. You. We appreciate that. But yeah, yeah. kind of just what you were just talking about, T. Frank. I, I want to say Mike is a regular here, so I appreciate him uh, giving us giving us the the real deal because I've come to care about Mike and uh, some of the the regulars. By the way, I did want to address something from early in the week. Uh, some inside baseball. If you're not a regular here in the BWI Daily Edition, we do two live shows a week. We do it here on the post game show and Monday to recap and then preview. Uh, so our other shows are you know like if you watch PTI around the horn, they're recorded and then played live. So that's what we do late, uh, late in the week. So I know like Larry's a regular here and, and he asked a couple questions earlier this week and got a little frustrated that nobody was responding. Um, normally I'm in the chat and I'm, I'm talking to people and uh, I'm responding and letting people know kind of the situation. But late in the week, 
my in-laws were here. I was with them and uh, I was not able to be on the show. So I just want to apologize to the to the people that were in the chat and discussing and talking about Penn State football with us heading up into the game. I hope that we didn't uh, damper any of your excitement about the game. And I'm glad that we've got a lot of the regulars here. So I just I wanted to make sure everybody was on the same page coming into this postgame show because, uh, you know, I appreciate every single one of you that watches the show on a regular basis. You are the reason we can do this. Agreed. Don't apologize for being with your family, but <laughs> I just want to put, point that out. For the but... miscommunication. How about I that? Know, I apologize yeah. for the I, miscommunication. I feel, you're getting all red in the face. I don't want to see that happen any more than it already is. Uh, Dominic getting involved. Uh, this is the biggest question every Penn State football fan has. Uh, would you say we should play Drew Aller now? Uh, what does it help starting Sean Clifford? Going 10-2. and two. That's, a, again, a successful season. You don't know what you don't know. We... We've talked about this all season, like getting through these two games, they go one and three in the big three game stretch, and then the rest of the wins are guaranteed. When has a win against Michigan State ever been guaranteed with James Franklin's teams? Like that's, it was supposed to be a win last year. They play in a blizzard. It doesn't go well. They lose that game as well. I had people, you know, on the BWI message board during the thread, the, the game thread saying they're down 10, nothing. What, what do you have to lose by putting Drew Aller in because it's two interceptions. And again, nobody's parsing. People in the chat are saying, why are you parsing Sean Clifford? He's mediocre. It doesn't matter. Sure. But if you're the coaching staff and you have worked 80 plus hours to get to the point where you are within a touchdown with Ohio State in the fourth quarter, holding them under 40 points in the fourth quarter with nine minutes left and you went on a 13 play drive and you got a touchdown to go get the lead. That's why you're playing Sean Clifford, because you don't believe that Drew Aller is going to be the guy that can help you do that. And here's the thing, fans. Neither do you. You don't know what he's going to do against Indiana next week. You don't know what he's going to do against Rutgers. I understand the desire to see somebody else play after a three interception game, wanting to see something new, wanting to see, you know, the hope and the, the future. I understand that this Clifford experiment feels like a dead end, but tell those players in the locker room that, having a 10 win season and trying your best to win every single football game um, that now we're playing the backup quarterback because the rest of the season doesn't matter. You aren't getting any more wins. Like you get a team to not believe in the message you send. Now, if drew Aller truly is the best option, which again, we don't know. We have not seen him play a full game you know, I, I'm reserving judgment that the coaching staff aren't blind idiots, which I understand you're, you think that, right? I understand that fans think that's the case. Um, I, I'm not there. You know, I think that they do this for a living and they're professionals and they probably have just a smidge more data than we do about practice and understanding what Aller can and can't do. Um, if you want to get him ready to do all of this next season, I understand. But here's the thing. Next season isn't guaranteed either. The transfer portal and NIL are going to blow up a lot of rosters this offseason. And Penn State, I, you know, I don't know if that's going to be the case of what happens here with the Nittany Lions, but it nothing is the future, nothing is guaranteed. Got to play for the games in front of you. And the positive thing that I think everybody needs to keep in mind is that Drew Aller continues to gain positive experience, whether it be in practice or the few opportunities he's had to get into games. And you need to remember, Sean Clifford is injury prone. He's come out of games already this yep. season, and that's why we've seen Drew Aller. For me, I want Drew Aller to just be ready because that situation, unfortunately, and I hope it doesn't, but unfortunately, it's probably going to come up at some point. So hopefully that's a good situation for Drew Aller. And you do have a favorable schedule the rest of the way in the Big Ten. However, 
it's the Big Ten. Anybody can pop up out of nowhere and beat somebody, a la Illinois beating Penn State in nine overtimes last season at Beaver Stadium. I uh, want to get to a donation here from Josh Gray, uh, kind of what we were touching on about Joey Porter and Marvin Harrison Jr. Why not have Joey Porter Jr. follow Marvin Harrison, a la yeah. what we see in the National Football League? So that that's a great that's a great point. Um, especially, I, I think this is kind of what set the stage in the first half was. Uh, they they put Marvin Harrison in the slot, and then you have Keaton Ellis going and get, oh, up against Marvin Harrison Jr. and he gets like twenty yards on two consecutive catches, and then I I, I said at that point you can't have that coverage ever again. Like you cannot have that matchup ever again where you have a a safety on Marvin Harrison Jr. and this is the situation where Penn State is playing hybrid corners, right? So they believe that these guys are. Uh, still has cornerback skills. So that is not a matchup they should outright lose. But there's a reason Keaton Ellis is playing safety. It's because he was not at the level of Kalen King or Joey Porter Jr. or Johnny Dixon or even, you know, Marquise Wilson. But Marquise Wilson eventually did move back to corner. So he's playing safety because like that's the decision. I, I think it's a fair point. There are pluses and minuses to doing that in terms of communication. Now you have a, an entirely new level of communication that you have to do if you're Joey Porter Jr. and the rest of the defense that they haven't done all season. Like, they just don't do that. And to change the structure of the defense where now you've got somebody following on a regular basis, it's not just about Joey Porter Jr. It's about the rest of the defense communicating. And if you get a busted coverage, then, then you're cooked either way. They did start doing it a little bit later. You know, but Marvin Harrison Jr. is really good. He's done this to everybody all season. Uh, and for those of you that are interested, once again, as I mentioned, the Pater, uh podcast, Pater to Penn State football show that we dropped later this afternoon, filling in for Matt McGloin is former Penn State and defensive back, uh, Penn State defensive back, Justin King. I will be asking him about his evaluation of Joey Porter Jr. overall and what he thought of his performance in this game. So if you're interested, check out Pater, Penn State football show. Uh, it's available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Later on today, we're going to get that out. Just another shameless plug. Uh, you'll forgive me. Um, I wanted to dive into another one that Stephen Light had here. Let me see if I can find it here in the super chat. You guys are being fantastic. Uh, Stephen, the best thing about the rest of the season is a chance for Clifford to improve <laughs> his career stats. Well, Stephen, as a matter of fact, today, yeah. Sean Clifford became the all-time leader in passing touchdowns in Penn State history. He passed uh, Trace McSorley. He now sits with 78 passing touchdowns. So, I guess a backhanded congratulations to uh, Sean Clifford, who I'm sure did not want to break that record uh, in a loss to Ohio State in kind of mop-up time in this game. But still, uh, credit to Sean Clifford getting that record because it's, you know, it's you beat Trace McSorley, you're doing something right. Uh, yeah, you played five years. <laughs> yeah, you played, you played a long time. Um, Ohio Lion 19, thank you for diving in. Dealing with Ohio State fans isn't going to be fun uh, next week. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and JT were the difference. Completely agree. This one hurts, but I think we should have hope. Am I crazy? I don't think you are. What do you think, yeah. Frank? I, so I, I, I hate saying things that are going to be taken out of context, right? Or that are that are going to be uh, sound like, oh, yeah, moral victory in a 40, whatever, 44-31 loss. But yes, Penn State, if you, Ohio State came in with a very good running game. They, this was the most balanced Ohio State team I've seen in a long time. They averaged 1.9 yards per carry until the fourth quarter. Then in the fourth quarter, they had three carries and they uh, averaged 15 yards. 
what they did is they went up tempo and they they attacked the way Penn State had been attacking. Penn State had just one or two mistakes. And when you've got a five-star running back in his second season backing up Mayan Williams, who that's another huge part of this game, him going down early and Penn State being able to structurally stop the run with fewer players and play too too deep. Because a lot of your a lot of your wrinkles that you come into the game with, they work for the first half until the other team can adjust. Penn State does run two high safeties, right? So they don't run like exclusively one coverage, but running cover two man and two high looks and things like that is not something they've done a lot this year because they faced athletic quarterbacks. CJ Stroud doesn't run like it's not a part of his profile that he wants to run. So when he sees those coverages, it's like, you know, this is going to sound stupid. It's like playing Tom Brady. You can play certain coverages against guys that don't run. But when you play Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, you cannot play those coverages because it opens up the middle of the field. Ohio State started attacking the middle of the field. Penn State readjusted. They battled back. They had a good game and they just the talent at right tackle was a problem today where the when they were forced to throw the football, I actually thought for a good portion of the game, they played with so much balance that it was actually not as big of a problem as I was expecting. I didn't think Penn State could score 30 points in this game, you know, and, you know, with garbage time touchdown, maybe that's closer, but they scored 31 points. I had them getting to 20. So they scored 11 more points than I was expecting. They moved the ball more than I was expecting because I thought that pass rush was going to be a huge problem. Um, and then, in the second, in the first half, Penn State, the, the same game plan. Ohio State was trying to stop the run with fewer players and keep this balanced tight end centric attack in contain. And they couldn't. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't uh, contain the passing attack because Penn State had that ever elusive balance today. But the problem was they tightened the screws in the second half. Penn State didn't get enough points early because of the turnovers, which we've already decided. Like everyone's already decided whether it's Sean Clifford's fault or not. I don't really care. I don't want to have that conversation. Like, I don't want to have the conversation about fourth down. You've decided whether it's good or bad to go on fourth down. So, you know, these kind of large structural things, Penn State was playing even-handed with the superior team, but they didn't get enough points to survive the late-game surge, and then it just kind of snow snowballed on them. So they played this team well, but talent won out. Uh, Pete, kind of reinforcing your point to a degree regarding Sean Clifford. Uh, Sean did what he could do to his picks and his strip sack were mostly uh, on his O-line getting mauled. I, I do agree with that. Clifford played well enough to win. Uh, yes and no on the latter. I don't know if it was the greatest game ever. I personally, and I've said this on my podcast a number of times, is that this offense should not be seeing Sean Clifford throwing the ball more than 30, 35 times a game. That It should be under 30, frankly. So for him to be airing it out 47 times, that's just not Sean's game. That's not Penn State's game. So I think yeah. there are a lot of things that he was forced to do uh, because of the play of the offensive line, because of the eventual score there late in the second half that he had to air it out. I think Mike Yurcich got a little trigger happy with the passing game there in the third quarter. Would have liked to have seen him stick to the running game just a little bit more. There was productivity there. But, I again, we've said it before, you can't yeah. pin this all on one person. Can I can I counter uh, just a little bit? They were sticking to the run, They were, but it was getting them in third and long situations. Um, outside of the first play of the game in the second half where they got a seven-yard run, Penn State was averaging one, two, one, three. Ohio State came out, and Penn State was the more physical team in the first half. And then Ohio State came back and responded. So the running game was not working in the second half. And I think part of that was 
Catron Allen didn't get as many touches in that third quarter where basically Singleton was the starter of the second half is what it seemed like. But um, Catron Allen, 12 carries, 76 yards. I think he need to see the ball a little bit more because it's not all about the, it, it, it's not going to be all about the home runs. Like that's clear at this point, Nick Singleton is going to get there. He's going to be that guy eventually, but the, the vision, the, the tackle breaking is not there right now. I think he needs to physically do. I know that this is a stupid thing to say that people don't like to hear. He's 217 pounds. He's got a big frame. He can be 225, 226. He can be a physical dominant player. And, and it's just not right now. He doesn't break tackles the way his running style needs because he's so violent and linear and fast, but he can't break that first tackle right now consistently where Catron Allen, the elusiveness, the vision, the only thing he lacks is that speed and he's producing those yardages, those yardage numbers to keep the, the team on schedule. But even he in that third quarter was not getting the effectiveness he needed to. So Pensey needed to go to the air and with Sean Clifford, you know, my biggest problem with Sean Clifford today was he kept getting his tight ends murdered over the middle. Yeah. He kept throwing... Strange took a really rough hit. Yeah. I, Theo Johnson, Bretton strange, both of them on, you know, back shoulder over the middle plays, which, not supposed to do that there. Um, and then, of course, the throwback to Parker Washington, who uh, they showed beautifully on TV, got tipped twice, and it still got to Parker Washington. So when you're lucky, you're lucky. And uh, some of those decisions were not good. Uh, the interceptions, you know, we've already discussed those. Can we can we talk about some of these players for Penn State football, though? Because Brenton Strange and Parker Washington, phenomenal today. Excellent football. Agreed. Yeah, no, the, the tight ends continue to be very good, and I think Mike Yersich is finding new creative ways to get them involved, and especially, you, know, you and I were talking about it before we came on here, the tight end for uh, Ohio State, Stover, an absolute mammoth of a human being, and they found ways to create mismatches with him, and yep. I think Penn State is slowly but surely finding ways to do that. I like seeing them line up in the backfield because they do have the speed to be effective out of the backfield, but seeing them stretch the field vertically, uh, it, yep. It's a good thing. And again, this is not necessarily go uh, hitting a go route, hitting a, hitting a post route, hitting a corner route or something with these guys. That's not really Sean Clifford's ball. His yep. ball is within 15 to 20 yards down the seam. He can really, really hit that. The yep. thing that was always concerning to me was a number of different plays where you're trying to move the pocket either on a rollout or a sprint out to Sean's yep. right. And then he's inherently, because of play design, throwing off his back foot, which you and I have seen enough of, that yeah. doesn't end well. And then you were just yeah. talking about the double tip and somehow it gets completed. There were a lot of those plays that were not necessarily because Sean was under duress, but because that was the play design. And I, th I find that a little strange. Yeah. So it, it, part of it is obviously you need to move the pocket to get him away from the pass rush. And, and when you do that, you create like you're splitting the field in, in, you're, you're removing one part of the field unless you're actually talented. You're like you're very talented and you can hit something on the backside from all the way back there. And it just like, that's not something that's going to happen. I haven't really liked the rolling pockets a whole lot. Last year they did them a lot too. Yeah. And, um, it, but it's, it's certain, a certain part of it is necessary in the game plan to keep the, the pass rush at bay, but it does have obvious flaws of which you've pointed out. And they got themselves in those situations that that throw to Parker Washington. Actually, they're lucky that um, the the that wasn't supposed. None of that was supposed to happen. That was, I think, a screenplay. 
and uh, Brent Strange was blocking nine yards downfield. He had just taken his dude and, and driven him into the sideline. So if they had wanted to, they could have called illegal, uh, you know, offensive pass interference on that play because that was a totally busted play to begin with. And there were a couple of plays where Ohio State completely sniffed it out on play action. That part of the game really wasn't there for Penn State. So, you know, some plays aren't going to work. But when you're when you're leaning into Clifford's you know, weaknesses, completely agree with that. And by the I, way, I just want I just want to say this. I understand the frustration with Sean Clifford. No one on this show is defending Sean Clifford. We are telling you what we believe happened in the football game. And there are other factors outside of the quarterback that lead to these situations. Uh, I don't think that Sean Clifford can win this team a national championship. I also don't think that a true freshman can lead this team to a national championship. So I, d I just don't have a problem with, Sean Clifford playing in this game because that's what's going to happen. Like I a certain amount of resigning yourself to reality. And uh, I just, anybody who doesn't bury Sean Clifford to people at a certain point becomes a Sean Clifford defender. Let's just, let's just stop doing that. Like, like that, let's have a conversation about things. Let's not do that, which I know I'm talking to the internet, but whatever. <laughs> um, and since we are talking to the internet and you guys are being so generous in the chat, I do want to get out some of your frustrations because this is a, a zoned yeah. event. This is the trust yeah. nest. This is Blue White Illustrated. Uh, David's comment here, third and 10 and you blitz. What an absolutely moronic call. Uh, they killed the blitz all day and you call that. What a joke. Dominate three and a half quarters and then uh, crap the bed once again in the fourth. Uh, Goonie also getting involved. I'm sick of the half measures and excuses. I'm tired of being good, not great. I'm tired of defending questionable play calling and mediocrity. Uh, believe me, so are we on all those things. Uh, I'm just tired. Secondary was found out. Clifford has been found out. Um, I want to dive to a question here in the Super Chat. Brian, thank you for getting involved. Why does Franklin continue to make statements that tick off fans and unnecessarily so pausing after Clifford winning the Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week? Uh, great to elite from four years ago, a loss to yep. Ohio State, yada, yada, yada. You've been in those press conferences. He said multiple times he's a fiercely loyal person, and he clearly believes in Sean Clifford um, to the point that does he have does Sean Clifford have blackmail on James Franklin? Like <laughs> you, I, you might worry. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. Um, but it's been a situation. The situation is right now that clearly the coaching staff does not want to put a true freshman on the football field. They want to protect him. That that's that's what they're doing. And you've got yourself into a situation with transfers and uh, you know, everything else with Will Levis all the way back to Tommy Stevens, all you know all of these decisions to stick with one quarterback over making a switch. When things have gotten bad, James Franklin has his North star, which is I, we picked the quarterback to begin the season. We don't make a switch, you know, other than COVID year and that fiasco. So he believes in Sean Clifford. And when Sean Clifford goes out and proves his own fans wrong and, and James Franklin tries not to feed the fire post game, He's going to come back and say something, you know, what I, I, I agree with you didn't need to do that, but he's an emotional person that makes emotional statements from time to time and felt like he wanted to defend his quarterback. Um, the one that I think does uh, sits worse with me is the one he made on his Thursday radio show where you talk about being close in 2016, not capitalizing on it, not investing in the program. And that's why you're here. 
it can be true. Like that can be a huge part of this where they didn't go out and aggressively in, uh, lean into football and get them the resources and everything that they have now five years ago. But it's not why they lost in 2017 and 2018. And and that sort of game that politicking, I think, is, is the right word for this. I, it's it's unnecessary because people aren't going to care. They're not going to listen to that stuff, whether it's true or not. They care about what happens on Saturdays, the on-field results. And James Franklin has not been an elite on-field coach. So therefore, there are no excuses. There's nothing he could say that would change people's minds, clearly. Also in the Super Chat, uh, thank you to Kevin. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. is phenomenal. Uh, completely agree with you, but let's give a shout-out to Parker Washington. Also, uh, way to ball out and go Phillies. Uh, game two of the World Series tonight. Go Phils. I'm a big Phils fan. Uh, Parker Washington, I completely agree, absolutely exploded in this game. 11 catches, 179 yards, a touchdown, a long of 58. He was outstanding in a way, T. Frank, that I've said it before on my podcast, Pater, that Parker Washington, in my mind, was just sliding into the same role that Jahan Dotson had last year, and yeah. I didn't expect there to be much of a drop-off. Now, I think it's taken him a while to get going and for them to find consistency with him in the passing game. This was his coming-out party, clearly, and to do it against the number two team in the country picked a hell of a weekend to do it. <laughs> right? Uh, he's been he's been a little less consistent than I expected Um Throughout his career, let me say that uh, the first play of his freshman, uh, his senior highlight tape in high school, I was just like, this dude is is for real because uh, he's been doing things with those level of ball skills since high school. But because, like you said, because Jahan Dotson was there and Parker Washington is going to be that guy, uh, it, it hasn't been as consistent this year. But his ability to break tackles and make those catches like I, he didn't make the one against Michigan which led to, again, another kind of blow up in that game. This one he did over and over and over again. So your good players played like good players, and that's why Penn State was in this game. They just didn't have enough good players, at quarterback, and at a couple other key positions to overcome what was going on around them. And, and you know, Bretton Strange as a blocker today, I just want to say this again. Bretton Strange as a blocker today was taking souls. It was very impressive to watch, um, but it just obviously it wasn't enough. But Parker, back to Parker Washington, he's finally turning into the guy that I expected, which the dude that vacuums in everything. Yeah, and again, he moved into the same things that Jahan was doing last year in terms of kick return, punt return, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he was the go-to guy today. He was absolutely outstanding, and I think they've been waiting for him to jump up in that role, I think. A slightly different athlete, obviously, than Jahan Dotson. Jahan can be a little bit more of a burner, uh, whereas Parker Washington, a little bit more stout and compact. He's still extremely difficult to bring down and quick, but yep. he's one of those compact slot receivers that can do some damage there. Uh, I was really happy to see this happen for him because I think, um, you know, just looking ahead, this is going to be a nice piece of tape for his draft stock uh, at some point in time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Yeah. Uh, Stephen Light jumping in once again in the super chat. Uh, no, we absolutely are going to bring up everything <laughs> that you donate to the super chat. Woohoo, Sean, number one. I am not a complete jerk. And no, you don't have to bring it. Yeah, we are going to do it anyway. Yeah. I love your yeah. coverage. You love Stephen Light, right? Oh, yeah. He's another another one of our regulars who's always here for supporting the channel. Uh, appreciate you, Stephen. And uh, appreciate everyone here, by the way. So if you want to help us out, you, you don't have to donate. One thing that would help Palantir out more than anything. donated and didn't even leave a comment. Thank you, Palantir. <laughs> appreciate that that's that's the that's the stuff right there but like the video uh we have 59 likes and there's 500 people watching this video uh the more you like the video the more people that let uh it lets more people know that this is a a quality post-game show where we're talking about sean clifford and we're defending sean clifford to the death and uh we're inciting a riot on youtube and uh, if you want to if you want pitchforks and mobs you know hit the like button and they can come hate us and you know it'll be good for the video at least uh, oh, and subscribe. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Yeah, of course. Channel. Super subscribe, uh, subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe to Blue White Illustrated through On3.com. That's $10 to get the subscription from now until next season. That's a phenomenal deal. Um, Palantir actually did find a way to get a comment in, so thank you, Palantir, for donating twice. Uh, I agree with your take. We got outplayed by a better team, but did you see enough foundation today that will give us hope that the gap can be closed? I imagine he's alluding to the gap between the likes of Penn State and Michigan and Ohio yeah. State and frankly the upper echelon of college football. I don't think this loss is going to affect Penn State recruiting in a negative way. Um like the blowout at Michigan could have. I understand it's the same old same old for Penn State football fans, but for 17 and 18 year old kids that are trying to make their decision where they want to go to school, now there's a thousand different factors that matter like NIL and, uh, you know, your opportunities as a business and as a brand, those are all on the table. So now those matter as much as do you like the school and the coaching staff and can you win a national championship and can you get to the NFL? You've been able to get to the NFL through Penn State, you know, clearly at certain positions more so than others. But it's been pretty clear that Penn State's been able to get guys to the NFL and play well. Um, but the branding, all those things, that's going to be a huge part of the future. So. When it comes to the long-term view, I don't know the answer. I think it's a positive uh, environment as much as you could in a loss. Like a moral victory doesn't exist, but still you you played with that team so well. And, and this is what I'm more interested in, I guess, is the short-term future of are the people in this chat correct about, ah, here's another seven and six season. They're going to win one game in the back half after losing this particular game. Or did we see enough foundational um strength out of the offense that you trust this offense going forward after getting the brakes beaten off them in the run game by Michigan do you think that they have shored up the the defense to the point they can play a balanced competitive game and they can beat these teams like everyone expects i still will not trust this offense because Sean Clifford is the quarterback and every single game i don't know what i'm getting from him but i think that the team overall the offense is in sync better than it's been all season long. The last two games were, uh, I think, a huge step in the right direction for the offense outside of the turnovers, which are a huge problem. But they moved the football, which they had not moved the football or had the actual balance they talked about for a long time. Those things, I think, keep you competitive and, and they can help you win against teams that you should beat. That's the whole point about this back half of the schedule is these are teams you should beat. Are you going to smack around the teams you should beat 
If so, then I think you have positive momentum. But when we're in the long-term view, nothing to me is settled when it comes to closing the gap with Ohio State until I know that Penn State has a serious NIL situation where they can go out and be competitive in the marketplace to get talent and that they are going to invest in the football program and the facilities and all the other things that fans don't want to hear about after a loss. But if we're talking about closing the gap with Ohio State, it is about talent and it is about coaching. And they are they they are losing in both. They just I think they lost less on the coaching side today than they did on the talent gap. Uh, Steven, once again, jumping in, T. Frank, it's not politicking. It is marketing. Uh, there's a lot of layers that go into it, obviously. And you just touched yeah. on a bunch of them uh, to Steven's point. I do want to bring this one up here from uh, Larry. Thank you for donating in the chat. Uh, a lot here, obviously, about some concerns on the defense, especially the third and long. We had uh, brought that up a little bit earlier on in the show. Um, didn't mix up the blitz and drop linebackers when they showed blitz and dropped to confuse them. Turnovers lost in the game. Penn State won on the stat sheet. Um, I, I guess the, uh, the the view in this game for me for the better part of three and a half quarters was that Manny Diaz did a really nice job. Uh, yeah. Just kind of the wheels came off, as you mentioned there uh, in the fourth quarter. We talked about a little bit earlier on is that once Ohio State implemented no huddle and this Penn State defense was definitely tired at that point in the game, there are a lot of short fields that they've been giving up. Yeah. Um, it, it was just uh, the the breaking point, so to speak. But what did you think overall of the way Manny Diaz called this game? Um, I'll start with what we kind of talked about earlier is that I thought Ryan Day kept Ohio State in the game or Penn State in the game as much as Manny Diaz did in that he wants clearly one of the things he wants to do this year is be a more balanced football team as well, because it's not about playing Penn state as much as it is about playing in the college football playoff, the big 10 championship. And of course they're going to circle that game with Michigan and they want to be a physical team by that point. They want to be a dominant physical team that's balanced and everything I said about them coming into this game, they want to be that ready for that particular process of going through the best in college football. So there's a dedication from Ohio State to be more balanced this year, just like Penn State was. They they do all the same things, too. Like, this is the annoying thing I said a couple weeks ago. is like, where's the coaching convention where they all decide we're doing these six new things and we're all doing them? Everyone's going to do them from condensed formations to pistol to uh, running the same concepts out of the same situation. Everyone's what if we the rebrand the option as the RPO? <gasps> <Yeah>. <gasps> exactly. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> So, so uh, Ryan Day was trying to run the ball to run Penn State out of their two high fronts so then they could take the big shots. And then eventually they said bleep it in the third quarter. They ran the ball, I think, twice to start the third quarter. And then they passed like seven or eight times in a row. And the offense started to get going. Marvin Harrison Jr. got into a rhythm. And I agree. In those situations, Manny Diaz has always been aggressive. Um, but I will say in the first half, the pressure of the defense, like the, the way Diaz and his personality creates as much pressure as the defense does, because Penn State wasn't getting home on those blitzes, but it was getting um, CJ Stroud a little bit rattled. So then they, they keep doing what they were doing and what was successful early on. But Stroud stays strong in the pocket and he throws accurately down the football field into those one on one matchups. I agree. I would have liked to see a little bit more uh, balance, but on early downs, they played coverage. They played some robber coverages where they're dropping the safety down and, and you're trying to jump around. And then Harrison just works behind that and there's no pressure. So then he gets to get to the second window, 12 yards down the field. That was the biggest thing coming into this game is Ohio State's tackles 
are the opposite of Penn State's tackles. Both of them are good pass protectors. They have a good pass protection unit. And after watching what happened with Michigan, I was not convinced Chop Robinson and Adisa Isaac were going to be able to get to the quarterback because even on those limited attempts, they weren't able to get to the quarterback. So if you can't get pressure with the front four, which Penn State was not doing consistently, you do have to do something because you arrive in the same place of receivers open down the field, regardless of, regardless of its man or zone. And I think Penn State got caught in that late in the game when Ohio State stopped throwing screens on third down. Another thing that Day was doing to keep them in the game is fearing the pass rush that wasn't getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, diving into a uh, comment here from David, uh, very hopeful for next season. Aller, Singleton, Allen, and Big Vega will close <laughs> the gap next year. I, I, I see the confidence there, and, and hopefully for a lot of Penn State fans, that's the case. Um, I do want to wrap up here on this donation. Um, thank you very much. And this is very much looking ahead. Uh, I'm more so, you know, a brief look ahead, T. Frank, at what Penn State is going to have to deal with uh, on the road at Indiana this coming weekend. Indiana currently sits at three and five, one and four in the Big Ten. Uh, what bowl game can Penn State expect to go to? How do you expect the rest of the season to go? And how do you expect things against Indiana to go? Like I said, I, I I take nothing for granted when it comes to Sean Clifford and the Penn State offense. They were inconsistent. They have proven more to me in the last two weeks than than they did. Um, you know, in that lull they had in the middle of the season where they weren't really balanced. They didn't have what they were talking about wanting. They have that now. How healthy is the offensive line? What's the situation at the tackles? Because that's huge. Um, I'm not expecting Landon Tangwall back this season. Just, you know, that was a huge red flag that he was hurt in pregame warmups. And he, uh, something happened in pregame warmups that's kept him out of the last two games now, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... That's not good. That's 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 straight up bad. So when you come to now the tackles are hurt. I don't know what Sean Clifford's ecosystem is going to be. And we know he's the canary in the coal mine. So they have to be able to protect the football. He's never played well against Indiana. Like Tom Allen's defenses are challenging. They give you post snap rotations that nobody else gives you. They always have some quirky, weird thing that's going to frustrate quarterbacks that are, as everyone has pointed out, and I think is fair, college quarterbacks, right? You know, guys that are middle-of-the-road quarterbacks. Um, then you got Maryland. Uh, I have not kept up with Maryland since early in the season. I don't know what the situation is with Talia Tunga Baloa. I don't know anything about that team yet. Of course, week to week you do the, the study there. And then you got Michigan State to end the season. At least that one's at home. But again, I'm not counting anything for granted. So on paper, Penn State can finish the season 10-2. and two. Um, So that puts them in a New Year's Six Bowl conversation. They'll likely be the third team in the conference unless Michigan implodes. So wherever that lands you, not the Rose Bowl, but a quality bowl that will look good at the end of the year. Um, And I think that's where Penn State's going to land. If I were to just toss a coin and say they finish nine and three, but I do think 10 and two is the reasonable place to feel like they can land pending all the information we don't have. There's a lot to be decided. And honestly, as a a very cynical Penn State football fan, considering the last two seasons, Penn State was perfectly 500. If this season winds up being 10-2 and and in a New Year's Six Bowl game, I think a lot of Penn State fans should be happy, positive, and hopeful for the future. And this performance today, especially against Ohio State, the number two team in the country, you hung with them for three and a half quarters. There's a lot of things you can pick apart. But there are a lot of things about this game that could have gone really south, a la the loss to Michigan. And they didn't. And I'll give a lot of credit to Ohio uh, Ohio State. They're good, but a lot of credit to Penn State. They stepped up. 
one last thing, and and this is kind of a, um, I think this is an important point to make here. This is where Penn State was before COVID, right in this spot. Now they did not handle the last two years well. Just straight up, it did not it did not go well. But if Penn State is back where they were in 2019. And from everything James Franklin has talked about, if you follow bluewhiteillustrated.com, Nate Bauer has been talking about these big picture off the field situations. We've been covering this for over a year and a half now with Patrick Kraft, Neely Bendapudi, the new system in place, the new vision for Penn State football. If that is true and they are committed to throwing everything into being good at football and, and to keeping up with the Joneses on all levels, and Penn State fans respond and NIL and all of those things, then I think Penn State is, is right back into program building. They took a step back the last two years, but if they finish 10-2 and two and they have this result, that's right back where they were, and now you can have the conversation of better or worse every year and all those things. Now, for James Franklin, is the clock running out? You know, it's been nine years, and I think fans have decided whether it's run out for him or not. But given what we just said and, and kind of the, the bigger picture stuff, I do believe the clock is ticking on that. And, you know, it may be not soon enough for you, but it, there's there's not a no-pressure situation. Penn State, I believe, from everything I understand now, Penn State cares about football and is going to play that way on and off the football field the way James Franklin has been asking for them to do over the last couple of years. So if all that lines up and all of that is true, um, I know that there's the no excuse crowd and, and you don't care about what I'm saying right now. But what I'm saying is you might get your wish, maybe not as soon as you want, but I do believe that this is now the conversation of we're starting and in two or three years, if uh, three years, four years, if this isn't where it's supposed to be, then, you know, those conversations become deadly serious. Penn State loses to Ohio State by a score of 44 to 31. Thank you all so much for joining us here. Thank you all so much that that donated and got involved in the chat. We really appreciate it. Uh, one more shameless plug. If you want to check out my podcast, Pater to Penn State Football Show with myself and Matt McGloin, uh, the recap episode that we drop later on today will be myself and former Penn State defensive back Justin King. So there's a lot, especially regarding the defense, Joey Porter, some of the things you guys touched on that we were absolutely going to address and look ahead the rest of the season. Thomas Frank Carr and the rest of the Blue White Illustrated team of course have you guys covered if you subscribe right now if you're not already subscribed it's just ten dollars between now and next season so check that out at on3.com and search for blue white illustrated's homepage. he's thomas frank carr i'm tom hannafin thank you so much for joining us here on the blue white illustrated post game show it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.